0: Welcome, everybody, to the Steve Jordan Experience. Today, I have with me all the way from Australia, Dr. Ron Elric. Dr. Ron has developed a holistic approach to health and wellness, which includes a comprehensive model of how the various stresses of our modern world impact our lives. Dr. Ron's passion for empowering individuals to take control of their health and be the best they can be, has been developed over 40 years of clinical experience. Dr. Ron, welcome to the Steve Jordan Experience Show. Thanks, Steve. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, I first have to talk about Australia. How is it over there, mate?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think most of us in Australia are reflecting on how good it is to be in Australia. Um, you know, we have been, uh, we, we, being an island for a start, makes it a little easier for us to close our borders when we had to. Um, We are not a hub. We are I don't want to say we are at the end of the earth, but we're certainly not like Singapore, London, LA, New York. You know, we're not a hub. And so Mm. it makes it a little easier for us to control that as well. When the pandemic hit, uh, we were just in our summer and actually we'd just come out of an incredible summer of fire, literally Mm. from one end of the country to the other. From, and yeah, there was country.
0: a lot of people I, I donated to that cause. I know oh, that yeah. it, was, uh, it, was, it was a horrific sight to see and witness just, uh, you know, the footage and videos that we were seeing here. It, it, was, it was
1: really shocking. And uh, air quality was just unbelievable. I mean, uh, so, so that, was, uh, that was our summer. And then just as we came out of that, uh, we had a, a huge rain downpour our dams, which were almost empty, almost filled up, I wouldn't say overnight, but within a week, which is unheard mm. of. Um, and uh, and so then just as we came out of that in January, end of January, February, then the pandemic hit. Mm. So, so it's been quite a time for us. But in a way, uh, that summer, because of the fires, we didn't have as many tourists as we normally do. We normally get a lot of tourists from China, from all around the world. But uh, they didn't come and we had a summer. So in a sense, we were lucky in that we we were in a position that we could watch what was going on in the rest of the world. I think we are all pretty proud of the fact that we bandied together and followed advice. and, And I know there's a whole lot of controversy about the advice and is it as bad as it really is and all of that. Uh, but but it, it's basically been an, a very empowering, although at times frustrating, experience. And I think most Australians reflect on, on how we've handled it with a sense of pride, community. Um, I mean, we weren't that impressed with our government, particularly our federal government, with the fires. When the fires were on, they were in sort of climate change denial. They are a government which is focused on denial, the federal uh, but in in our system the states have a great deal of power and they control the borders and they control what goes on in health and and etc so so then we formed a national cabinet which was very collaborative and the population kind of swung in behind it um, i think it's been such an interesting thing on so many different levels but in Australia and here i am now we're in the middle of january i've just uh, we're still social distancing. We've been told to wear masks, um, uh, big events. <laughs> I say big events don't go on, but there's been a cricket a game on where they've allowed mm-hmm. instead of forty thousand people, they've allowed ten thousand people. How's that? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and And we've just come away. I'm now sitting two hours south of Sydney on the beautiful south coast of sydney, and and I've got I caught too much sun yesterday. Um, so we are enjoying a week away with the family. I've got my, my, my daughters and my grandchildren with me. And, uh, so things are pretty good considering what's going on in the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, certainly. Well, it does sound like that. And it, you know, I don't know much about Australia. It's an area I wanted to visit, but I haven't, uh, I've had friends there through the years and I've had several guests on the show from Australia. And what I love about Australians is just that sense of community as you, Uh, just embrace there Uh, and perhaps it is because it's an island Um, and so far like you said at the end of the world almost uh, my wife is from Japan also, great sense of community, which is an island, you know, and a very strong nation for as small as they are. They're very uh, – they're a powerhouse in, in so many areas, economically and technologically and and, and every area you could probably think of. Um, and when we talked about visiting Australia from Japan, I'm like, oh, what is it, like a four-hour flight? She's like, no, it's like still eight hours, nine <laughs> hours away. I'm like – yeah. My goodness how far is it there so, yeah, yeah well I yeah, think from really LA in the
1: end of the world from LA it's a 14 or 15 hour flight and uh, that's yeah. direct <clears throat> LA yeah. to Sydney but but I think this whole thing has been a really interesting thing on another level and that is it's uh, basically been about whether it's about we or me. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's about we, then you are concerned for the greater good. If it's about me, then I want to do whatever, I have a right to do whatever I want to do and no one's going to stand in my way. And I think the we has prevailed. I think the other thing that I find a little frustrating globally about the way this whole pandemic has panned out is that it's it's a good example of how we approach all diseases, one at a time, in isolation, with very little mention of immune function. And at the end Mm. of the day, immune function is our greatest defense against this pandemic and, and and the inevitable future pandemics we're going to face. Mm. So, Dr. Ron,
0: you're a, a holistic practitioner, someone who likes to advocate uh, health as preventative, then uh, probably more uh, different types of supplements, food as medicine rather than antibiotics and other types of medicines to help cure and, and aid in well-being what is your take on the vaccination? Uh, whether it's based on, uh, you know, knowledge from studies or just your intu- intuition, how would you approach it? And what would you be doing now if you were offered that vaccine? Because I think so many people are uh, faced with that decision now. And, you know, I'll just comment personally real quickly. I'm not sure I want to do it. You know, it's uh, something that you know, it's so new. Um, I have a strong immune system. I'm a healthy individual. I'm very young. Uh very young, forty-six in a month. But uh, you are, you are <laughs> very young. Thank you. Yeah. Uh but I you know, I, I take into consideration those those uh variables. So what are your what's your opinion on that and or the opinions of Australians
1: as a whole? Yeah. Well, first you have to say. If we're going to talk about vaccinations, the first thing I have to say is I'm not an anti-vaxxer, okay? So let's put that aside. I grew up at a time when there were kids in my class that had calipers on for polio, and I remember there were kids in my class that had suffered from it, and when the polio vaccine came out, you know, we didn't have polio anymore, and I used to travel to Southeast Asia, and I needed to get my smallpox and cholera and da-da-da-da-da, and I did that. So I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Uh, However, it usually takes four or five or sometimes more years to develop a vaccine, and uh, that's important because it takes that long to establish efficacy and side effects. So that's number one. Number two, the vaccine, when we see the vaccine quoted as 90% effective or 70% effective or whatever percentage effective, what does that mean? And what it actually means, I believe, I could be wrong here, but I believe that means that is your your success at not developing the the complications of the virus. Mm. So you are 90% or 70% less likely with the vaccine to develop the complications of the virus. But it doesn't mean you won't become infected and it doesn't mean you won't be contagious. So that's pretty important in a no-fly, no-jab Mentality, which I have a horrible feeling we're going to get to, but there it is. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're in, not in, not going to get infected, and it doesn't mean you're going to be not going to be contagious. It just means you're not going to get sick.
0: Mm-hmm. The, the
1: other thing about this is that um, it's been tested in a very short period of time on relatively healthy people, so we don't really know how this will play out on the old and those with comorbidities, which are pretty significant population that we're concerned about in this. So so that's another thing. A lot of these vaccines seem to require a short period of time between the first and second jab. And the logistics of rolling this out to a, a global population is quite staggering. I mean, I think you were expecting in America to roll out 20 million vaccines by Christmas. I think you got through 2 million. And um, and so that means the distance between jab number one and jab number two is definitely going to be extended. And the science has been done on a three-week window. So we don't know whether after 12 weeks is the first jab going to be effective or not. The
0: mm-hmm. other thing
1: is we don't really know about the side effects, which tend to take some time to play out. And also there's some new technology in this area. I, I'm not really up on it. I think it's messenger mRNA, you know, it's a different kind of technology, which typically um, would take five to 10 years to be tested on humans. Um, So I have some concerns about that. Um, In the past, coronaviruses, as in SARS-1, other, uh, the Hong Kong flu, HN1N, um, these are all coronaviruses. Uh, We haven't had a huge amount of success in getting vaccines um, for those. And the flu vaccine, uh, which offers some protection, you need to get a new one every year because why? Because the the virus um, mutates and we already know it's mutating. Um, So there are a few issues there. And I, for one, like you, and I'm not as young as you, Steve, I'm uh, now 65 years old. I still feel reasonably fit and healthy. And my best defense, and I think people's best defense, is a healthy immune system, which is all about what you're about and what I'm about, and that is empowering people to take control and and be the best they can be. And, and what that means is what we can talk about. Excellent. Great segue. So tell us, let's start, let's
0: start with food, right? And and food is medicine. Uh, individuals listening to this right now and decides, you know, these guys are are on point. I agree with what they're saying. It is about being healthy from the inside out, building a strong immune system. What does your dietary suggestion look like for someone to
1: be healthy, to eat healthy, to build a strong immune system? Well, there are so many different stories going around that it could be, it is, in fact, quite confusing. And the nutritional guidelines in your country, I think it's now, it was the food pyramid. It was It is the healthy eating plate in our country. It's called the Australi- Australian Healthy Eating Guidelines. Uh, when you look into them, quite shocking because you would be quite um, naive. Well, you'd be entitled to expect that a government-backed nutritional guideline would be healthy and, and nutritious for good health. And sadly, when you look into it, and this is a story that is very easy to miss, but once you hear it, very difficult to ignore, the nutritional guidelines, as are endorsed by the US Department and by the Australian government, are more about industry than they are about health. And therein lies a problem. And then you go on to the internet and you go on to vegan, you go on to this diet, keto diet, low-carb diet, high-carb diet grains, no grains, no dairy, dairy, you know, it's very confusing. So I like to keep things as simple as possible. And you just need some basic knowledge. And that is very empowering. And the knowledge is this, the basic foundation for a healthy diet is for it to be nutrient dense. And what does that mean? I mean, it basically means for you to eat natural food that is grown in healthy soils, or to eat animals that are raised on Healthy soils. This whole vegan movement that we're seeing, and I'm Steve. I'm not really sure. I, I, I should ask. Are you a vegan? I'm not. No.
0: Okay. I, I, okay. I, you know, I tend. To, I eat a lot of vegetables, but yes. I eat meat um, yes. as you said from farms that are hormone-free, free-range, uh, organic, the highest like level that you can get. Yes. I, yes. I spare no expense at feeding myself very well and spending money on high-quality food.
1: Yes. And I, and I agree with that. So the vegan movement has two issues, one of ethic ethics, and I totally support that. I really support that. I think our relationship with animals has gone really, um, it's corrupted. It's, it's, I agree. Immor- it's immoral and, and, and it's, um, it's just, it should, I agree with vegans on that score. So factory farming of meat, we need to stop as soon as possible because The animals are not the problem. It's the way they are managed that is the problem. And if they are raised on healthy soil, that healthy soil contains the nutrients that we need to be healthy. So Mm -hmm. nutrient-dense means, well, you know, from high school, we we need, you remember the periodic table? There was like 118 or 120 elements on the periodic table. The human body requires 60. We know what 25 of those or 30 of those elements do. We don't know the full picture, but we know the human body needs 60 elements in the periodic table to be healthy. It also needs some essential fatty acids. Note essential fatty acids. It also needs some essential amino acids or proteins. Note carbohydrates are not essential. I think vegetables are a very important part of our diet, particularly given we're exposed to so many environmental toxins that are a very colourful, um, above-ground vegetable is, is where I like to, to go. I mean, I still do eat some my my root vegetables, but I like to focus on a lot of colours. And I, like to, I do like to keep my carbohydrate level down. And what does that mean? That means different things to different people. Uh, to me, that means something around 70 to 100 grams of carbohydrate a day. I think that's really sustainable, easy to do. I mean, keto, you would be on about 20 grams of carb a day. And people might be sitting here thinking, what the hell does that even mean? And mm-hmm. I think you really, it is a worthwhile exercise for people to weigh out and have a carb counter for themselves for a week or two, mm-hmm. max, just to get an idea of what that actually means, to benchmark yeah. yourself. So, I think food that is grown in healthy soils provides you with a nutrient density that is important. Salt is another issue that has been demonized unfairly. There is a huge difference between table salt, which has sodium and chloride in it, and maybe a little bit of iodine if you're lucky, and Himalayan rock salt or Celtic sea salt, which can have up to, depending on what you read, 50, 60 or 70 different of those elements that we require to be nutrient dense. So salt is much maligned, but it shouldn't be. And the other one is the best drink of all is water. And, um, you know, I I know there is all sorts of crap. Is Is that an American word too, Steve? Do you guys understand what I mean when I say crap? Oh, yes, sir, we do. We also say shite. Oh, right, okay. okay. <laughs> anyway, the point being that our water sits in a huge dam, and, yes, there is chlorine and there's other stuff that is um, not good for us, but I'm happy that I get water delivered to my tap, and at my tap I then have in my house a reverse osmosis water filter, which takes everything out, and that's not necessarily a good thing. And then I take a few grains of Himalayan rock salt, put it in my glass of water, and bingo, I have got clean mineral water, which I consume as my preferred drink. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of is it in a nutshell. Um, Nutrient-dense, good healthy fats, good quality salt, clean water, um, you know, and we talked about vegetables and the whole story there. So that's basically it in a nutshell, and it's not complicated it's not complicated. It's very straightforward. Let's talk carbohydrates for a quick, brief moment.
0: The carbohydrates here in America, uh, you know, tend to be breads, uh, manufactured breads or muffins. Uh, what are the carbohydrates, the go-to carbohydrates of the unhealthy people in Australia?
1: And then what are the go-to healthy carbohydrates of the people in Australia? Look, we, we've got an obesity problem in Australia as well, and it's on par with America. I think I, in fairness to you guys, I think you are, are up there perhaps number one or two, but we are not far behind in Australia. So what you would, if you came to Australia, you would recognize many of those carbohydrates you mentioned um, there. So, So let's just park that for one moment okay. and just say they're really not, I think everyone knows they're not healthy. Um, even if they have a heart foundation tick on them or even if they have some sticker on them which says low-fat and aren't they healthy for you, you know. I think uh, carbohydrates, again, um, the above-ground vegetables are lower in carbohydrates. Uh, The root vegetables like uh, sweet potato or kumara or or potatoes or carrots, uh, pumpkins, you know, they, they are the higher carbohydrate levels. Um, breads look, you know. I mean, I love bread. I, I, I love bread. I could demolish a loaf of bread without any problem at all, but I don't. I don't. Uh, and if I eat bread, I like to eat it that is sourdough. It helps in the in the breakdown of the of the d- digestion. But I don't eat much. I really don't eat much bread. Um, so so that's basically nuts are also a pretty good source and they combine mm-hmm. a lot of vitamins there as well as some healthy fats. You can go a little crazy on nuts. I do. If you looked in my fridge, you would see activated macadamia nuts, which is an Australian nut, beautiful, um, uh, uh, pecans, uh, wal- um, almonds, cashews, pe- you know, pistachios. I-, I soak them. I dry roast them. Uh, I do that myself Um so nuts are a, a good snack food, but they also raise the carbs. Look, I think when we talk about carbs, uh, I mean, it's the pendulum swings, the pendulum swings, and the pendulum a few years ago was really into the low-carb keto world, and I, and I think for some people that is entirely appropriate, um, and, and it depends on you, you the individual, as to what is um, appropriate for you, and if you were really working out more than, um, more than another person. If you were doing a lot of exercise, you might need slightly more carbs than that. But, uh, to me, that's, it's, it's not a picture that's very different in Australia to America. No. Got it. Thank you
0: for, for commenting on that.
1: You, you'd mentioned, you know,
0: you, you do a lot of things. I want to talk about being proactive, right? Many people, people take eating, exercise, being healthy, being fit, as a passive endeavor, something that they hope and wish for, right? But it's something you really need to be active and proactive at. Like you even dry roast and soak your almonds and your and your nuts. How do what is that proaction like? What what's the initiative of the proaction? Why be proactive? Why be mindful? Why be more uh what's the word I'm looking for? More active in the process.
1: Look. I think there are there's a progression that we go through as an individual and and we are exposed constantly to a barrage of information which is un which is overwhelming and and confusing and contradictory often contradictory and when you are exposed to that and we are all exposed to that there are two ways you can go well there's probably more than that but here's two ways you could go one is to throw your hands up in the air and go look Last week it was this, this week it's that. I shouldn't do this last week. I should do this this week. It's so confusing. It's always contradictory. What the hell? I'm just going to do whatever I like and it doesn't matter, right? And then you are on a journey down the muffins and takeaway food and and poor health journey. The other way you could go is to say, hey, hang on, my health is just too important to leave to anybody else. Mm-hmm. I've really got to take control of this myself Because at the end of the day, if I was looking for the meaning of life, I know I'm jumping ahead of myself here, Steve, by going directly to the big question, the meaning of life. But here it is, in my opinion, the meaning of life is to fulfill your potential. Mm. And that means different things to different people. It may mean being a better husband, a wife, a better brother, a sister, a a citizen, a friend, a, a member of a club, whatever it means, professionally or personally or socially, to fulfill your potential. And the best way to fulfill your potential is to be as healthy as you can. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for a motivation to take control of your own health, I think that's pretty good motivation, you know, to fulfill your potential. Now, once once you've accepted that, the next question is, okay, what do I do? And I see life as a little bit of a balancing act. On the one hand, we've got stressors that compromise our immune system and promote inflammation. And that is the common denominator in all diseases, physical and mental. So identify those things that stress your body and compromise your immune system and promote chronic inflammation. And to that effect, I have a five-stressor model that I've used professionally in my practice for almost 40 years. And I look at stress as a combination of emotional environmental, postural, nutritional, and wait for it, Steve, dental stress, giving away a bit of my professional background there, but dental stress. And I include dental stress for two reasons. One, I've been in that area for 40 years, so I feel I have a reasonable handle on on that topic. And two, I include it for anybody with a mouth who is interested in their health, but has never fully connected the two, and there are many connections. But let's just go back to that balancing beam. So on one hand, you're reducing the stressors that compromise your health, but on the other hand, you've got to build resilience. And by building resilience, again, you focus on five pillars of health, sleep, breathe, nourish, move, and think. Mm. And, And pivoting on this balancing beam, if you like, is our genes and the way our genes express themselves called epigenetics. Now, you know, there it is, the balancing beam. Now, a lot of people, and my focus in my professional life, in my podcasting, in my books and my courses, is identifying those pillars and those stressors. And people often ask, is all stress bad? And the answer is, no, it is not. There is intentional stress, which is very good. Exercise being an excellent form of intentional stress. Um, Fasting. An, in, an excellent form of intentional stress or intermittent fasting is a sort of a light version of that, but fasting, um, ice baths, saunas, um, i would, you might even argue that meditation was an intentional stress. But so, so that's kind of how I see it. And I definitely would encourage, that's actually my mission, if you like, and I'm sure yours too, is to empower people to do just that, take control of their health and be the best they can be. I couldn't
0: agree with all of those those areas of conversation. And I'm glad that you touched on stress because I am also a big advocate of uh, maximizing your ability to manage stress, right? Because stress, as you said, is important. We need it to grow. We need it to, to, to thrive. I mean, we're in stresses upon us all the time. You can call gravity a stress. It's a a force that pushes on us, that keeps us alive. When we're out of that environment, we lose bone density, strength, and all the other uh, complications that come along with space travel outside of gravity, gravity and the gravitational pull. So, what are the three most common stressors that people would ent- encounter, based on your experiences, and what would be the three most common uh,
1: fixes or or tricks to get over and through them? Yes. Well. Okay. Here's the three off the top of my head. Um, the three biggest stressors are. Are probably the emotional stress aspect which whenever I say stress people always identify stress as being the emotional aspect of it and I think I think they're right because I think the way you think you may not have control over events in the world over other people in your world but you do have control over how you think about that mm. and and stress is a very good example of that for example. If you are working really hard and you are so stressed and, oh, my God, this is killing me. I just, I'm working too hard. I just, I don't know what to do, da, 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 da. If that's how you think about your stress, full job, for example, then that stress is really bad for you. That person sitting in the desk next to you may be doing exactly the same as you, but they love it. They are just so empowered by what they're doing. They feel energized by it. Yes, they're working 18 hours a day, and yes, they're exposed to all those people, but hey, what the hell, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and just their different attitude to the same stressor makes a huge difference, and the Mm -hmm. research bears that out. So the way you think about things makes a big difference, and I think that's a number one stressor. A number two stressor, and I'm just picking these out because you asked me to, Steve. No, this is why I love it. I said organic and natural. Yeah, okay. So the second one I think we need to be aware of is environmental stressors because it is ubiquitous and it is quite confronting and quite depressing when you hear about it. We are exposed in our world to about 140,000 different chemicals, about 2,000, 3,000 new chemicals every year, We might assume that they are, they're all being tested, they're on the supermarket shelf, the government's done all the testing for them. Wrong. Wrong. Chemicals are tested one at a time in isolation on usually healthy university students or volunteers for a period of six to eight weeks, maybe two or three months if you're lucky, and then they are allowed to be released. Sometimes they're not even done that. But that's not the way we're exposed to chemicals. We're exposed to chemicals in combination. No one has ever done those tests. Um, We're exposed to them for a very long time. And so chemical exposure is something that is a major problem that we're exposed to in our personal care products, in our houses, in our clothes, in our food. It's ubiquitous. And you might say, oh my God, well, what can I do about it? Well, By being informed, you can make informed decisions, which can reduce that chemical exposure by eighty or ninety percent. So there's another thing, another environmental stressor that we need to be aware of is EMF radiation, electromagnetic radiation. It's everywhere, and I love it. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm the worst offender. You know, I'm on my phone. I'm not communicating. You know, but there was a guy called Einstein who made a very important uh, statement, and he said that every atom in the universe is both mass and energy. And that means every atom in our body is too. So to assume that the energy we are surrounding ourselves with, we put in our laps, we put next to our heads, we put next to our beds, to assume that radiation does not have a biological effect is naive at best, and negligent at worst mm-hmm. and by creating a distance between these things you can again reduce your exposure so again environmental is about being aware of and minimizing and the third one the third one is interesting and i think we touched on that and that is the nutrient the food that we eat and then mm-hmm. on the other hand what how do we build what are the three big ones for building our our resilience Sleep is number one. Sleep is, and this comes from um, uh, one of the world experts, Matthew Walker, who's from UCLA, uh, University of California, maybe San Francisco or something. But he's a world expert on sleep, and he says sleep is your built-in, non-negotiable life support system, and -hmm. it's free, and it's available to everyone. And it impacts on every system of your health. So, by focusing on a consistently good night's sleep is your best, is your starting point for a healthier life. Because it's one thing to say change your attitude to things, but if you're really dog tired, it's really hard to change your attitude to things. So, focus on sleep. To get out and exercise if you're really tired is hard, but if you get a good night's sleep, If you make good decisions about what you eat, having a good night's sleep will make a big difference. Mm -hmm. So you can't talk about sleep without the other thing that's important, and that is breathing. Because putting your head on the pillow is not enough. You've also got to breathe well while you're asleep and also breathe well while you're awake. There's a huge difference between breathing through your mouth and breathing through your nose, and that has profound effect on your body chemistry and health. So sleeping, breathing, and I guess... We covered nourishing, so let's not double up on that one. And, and I would put a nod to to getting out and moving. And it works mm. out, and I, and I think this is true, Steve, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it turns out that less is more. You don't have to go out and do a 10-kilometre or 10-mile run. You know, if you do 20 or 30 minutes of intermittent exercise, high-intensity exercise, your metabolism, I think, is up for a good actually a longer period of time than if you went out and did a marathon. So less is more. You don't have to do a lot to make a difference. So that's the things that I would focus on. That Those are awesome suggestions,
0: and I agree with you on that last component there as well. Uh, less is more. It's the quality, right? So we talked about quality of sleep, breathing, food, nourishment. Um, it's the same as exercise and movement. It's the quality over the quantity. And they have done studies where they've shown that shorter bursts of exercise are more effective for overall general fitness than long, prolonged uh, periods of time. And you're right. Uh, EPOC is a post-exercise oxygen consumption that after a high intermittent uh, workout, like high intensity training, your metabolism stays elevated longer after the workout. So you get that post-exercise burning uh, you know, metabolism, uh, if you will. So uh, right on there, I, th- I couldn't agree with all this more. I mean, it sounds like I'm talking as well when when you're saying all this. I wanted to bring up something about breathing that reminds me that I share with my clients as well. You said, you know, breathing and the quality of breathing is really important. Um, I share with my clients that
1: your nose is for breathing and your mouth is for chewing. Would you agree with that? Absolutely I say, I say noses are for breathing, mouths are for feeding and mm. and speaking and smiling but but that's it. Um, yeah. I mean you know when we talk about what what does breathing well actually mean, um, you know there are there are four or five things that that define breathing well. Breathing through your nose is critically important because your nose warms, humidifies and filters the air before you take it into your lungs. There are five levels of filtration if you breathe through your nose. The fine hairs filter the air. The mucus lining, the sinuses and the turbinates, kill bacteria. The sinuses and the turbinates warm and humidify the air. The adenoids also uh, filter out the air, and the tonsils filter the air as well before you take it into your lungs. If you breathe through your mouth, you bypass the first four, and you rely much more on your tonsils then they should and that's why children with a lot of recurring respiratory illnesses or enlarged tonsils uh, you know it to remove tonsils used to be a really common thing it's not done as often anymore sometimes it's still very important and can make a big difference but to go to the tonsil straight away to remove them if they're inflamed is like driving along in a car and the hazard warning light comes on and you decide you're going to solve the problem by removing the globe from the dashboard and get rid of the little light that lit up the, the, the oil filter or the thing. That's like removing the tonsils. So, the other nice part about breathing through your nose is that the body has this thing called nitric oxide. It produces a really important chemical called nitric oxide, which is antimicrobial, antiviral, in fact, um, and is also a really important body regulator. And 60% of the body's nitric oxide is produced in the paranasal sinuses only when you breathe through your nose. Hmm. And there was a really interesting article in the Journal of Virology in 2005, really light reading Steve, and it was after the SARS-1 virus hit, you know this is the SARS we're in SARS-2 now, so SARS-1 in 2000 four or five. And it showed that nitric oxide, remember, it's produced in the nasal sinuses only when you breathe through your nose. Nitric oxide disrupts the reproductive cycle of the corona one virus and presumably of the corona two virus as well. Mm. So breathing through your nose is really important. And it also helps balance out body chemistry. So nasal breathing, if you've got a set of lungs, you may as well use the whole lot of them. So breathing from the diaphragm is really important. Um, and breathing slowly and gently is another one that's important as well. Um, so that's what constitutes healthy breathing, I think, breathing well.
0: Awesome. I, I agree with that. I was uh, re- I read a book several years ago called The Oxygen Advantage.
1: Oh, uh, yes, Patrick
0: McEwen. Yeah, very He's good great. book. And uh, in there, he suggests taping your mouth at night and sleeping. Yes. Well, I, I did that. And yes. I. It freaked my wife out after about a week because I used uh, uh, rock tape, a kinesio taping across my mouth, so it was pretty bold. It was red and mm-hmm. and whatnot. But um, I have to tell you, for that week that I did it, it was really first. I, I I'm you know I'm one of these. You have a lot of biohackers now that they call themselves where they're trying experimenting stuff. I'm the only person I know that has done this and followed through with it for as long as I did. Um, but it was really great I, I I definitely feel like I recalibrated or reset my central nervous system to breathe more through my nose than my mouth, and that was the benefit of it where I was retraining my brain and my nervous system to breathe through my nose rather than mouth breathe, where sometimes you know I think we all get caught up in mouth breathing, you know it's just a uh, it's probably a, your nose gets clogged or your sinus, got, you know, it's air dr- air is dry, whatever it is, you start to breathe through your mouth. It's an easier passage, but we can start to do that. And then what I also like as well is doing it just manually where you can clog one nostril and breathe and then let it come out. And you do this cycle of breathing by closing one nostril and letting the other one move as well. So you're getting this left right side brain or right left side nostril breathing pattern going and it really helps if you do it on a consistent basis and i do believe that it resets your nervous system and allows for more breathing and better breathing and well breathing so that you
1: have all the benefits that you just attributed to well i mean steve uh, i've been taping my mouth for the last five or more years 10 years um, and I'm a chronic mouth breather, and we, we could spend a whole program on talking about why people are, but but the breathing the taping of the mouth, and you shouldn't use the duct tape, you should use… You <laughs> no, it, should was, use, it was rock tape, not duct
0: tape. Rock tape. Sorry. Yeah, it's called, it's a brand, it's a kinesio taping, you know how okay. physical therapists…
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well… It, yep. So it, it goes off the skin it doesn't irritate yeah, it. Yeah. yeah because we use micropore tape which is probably very similar um, yeah. but uh, but uh, look it's a very it's an interesting experiment and we powerful. use it in, we, we powerful, powerful And I first got introduced to this 15 or so years ago when I was uh, was consulting with a, a, a young patient had come in and was coming in for an opinion about orthodontics and in her history she, Was 12 years old and she was still wetting her bed. Enuresis, it's called, bed wetting. And she had been to see a neurologist, a psychologist, and a urologist. The parents had spent something like $10,000 seeking out all these different cures or treatments. And they had siblings which were, she had siblings which were 10 and 8 who weren't wetting their bed, but this kid was. And while she was sitting there, I looked at her and I noticed that A, her mouth was open and B, she was breathing really fast. So she was going something like this. Mm. In fact, she was breathing about 28 to 30 times a minute, which is higher than the 12 to 20 times a minute we should be breathing. And I suggested to her that while she was sitting in the chair, we might try an experiment while I was talking to her parent. I gave her a little bit of of micropore tape, put it on the mouth, and I said, just calm down. And just breathe slowly through your nose and she kind of parent kind of thought well I said I'm not tying your hands behind your back if you don't like it you can take it off but let's just calm down and breathe through your nose so so she put the tape on and she breathed calmly through her nose while I was talking to her parent her father and after about five or ten minutes she was still breathing calmly through her nose and got the confidence to do just what I asked her to do and I said try that at night and put a little tab on so that if you feel uncomfortable, it's really easy to remove. You can take it off. Believe me, if you're not breathing well, you will very quickly remove this tape. And the father wanted to sleep in the room with her. Guess what? On that first night, no bedwetting. Hmm. And, And from then on, no bedwetting. And for adults, what I have observed is a lot of adults get up at night to go to the bathroom. And a lot of adults think, oh, I shouldn't drink as much as I do. I won't do that. But they still get up at night to go to the bathroom. And it's because the breathing goes out of balance. It affects the carbon dioxide level in your lungs, which is an important part of regulating the acid-alkali balance in the body. You know, we hear a lot about alkalinity and acidity and all that. Well, by balancing that out, smooth muscle can relax and the bladder is smooth muscle. So... If your breathing goes out of balance, it affects pH, and it causes smooth muscle to contract, and the bladder is smooth muscle. Mm -hmm. So that was a really powerful lesson about the power of nasal breathing. So last week, I just
0: had an aha moment. Last week, I had a little bit of a a, a little sinus infection, if you will. like It was nothing seasonal something i I actually think it might have been brought on by my mask you know i think sometimes wearing masks for too long or you don't wash them or whatever creates a lot of bacteria and it was all just in my knee in my nose and um i use a neti pot so a nasal flush whenever i feel something come on whether you know i always start there and i typically 95 percent of the time wipe it out just by doing that um, and then the other 5%, if I need it more, I go to my acupuncturist. Um, I haven't been on an antibiotic in over 16 years. So I'm a homeopathic just like you. But the aha moment I just had here was I had this sinus cavity and my wife told me that I was snoring a lot last week. And to the point where she was not comfortable sleeping, she was, you know, left, uh, left awake. But in that week, I got up and peed more in the middle of the night than I usually typically do mm-hmm. and I didn't think anything of it, and I'm one that like types I, I tend to like try to stop drinking water after eight pm because I go to bed around ten so you know eight p m eight thirty the latest I, I usually have my last drink of water and I usually recommend that to clients but last week I absolutely there was at least three nights in a row that I woke up around three a m two am and went to the bathroom yeah. and right. I now. I don't believe it's coincidence based on what you just said there.
1: Yeah. yeah. Look, there are many reasons why people get up at night to go to the bathroom. Uh, you know, uh, pre-diabetes is one. But, but and so medication and prostate for mm-hmm. men as they grow older, et cetera, et cetera. But a, a, commonly, a common cause, cutting right across the age groups, which is often overlooked, is dysfunctional breathing or sleep disordered mm-hmm. breathing. Sleep mm-hmm. disordered breathing.
0: Yeah, I couldn't breathe. My nose was clogged. I wake up in the morning and, I, you know, yep. my nose was like con- – my nose was congested. But a couple of treatments with the neti pod and just a few days of good rest and, you know, eating well and
1: yeah, just rested. Well, you know, I, I, think, I think the neti pot is great. I do that every morning myself as
0: well. Yeah. So you think it's okay to do on a daily basis and especially now with, you know, what's going on. You think it's all right? Yeah. I do. I do. I do. I, I'm right. just part of my, my regime. Yeah, and I, and I think I, some people thing. get really grossed out about it, you know, in the beginning, and I, I I actually enjoy it. I think it feels so good. It's such a refreshing experience after you're done and you, you know, get everything
1: out and you're just mm. so clear. Yeah, I think the key is not to, to get the salt level right, because if it's too mm-hmm. saline, it can be irritating. Yeah. And to get the temperature right, because if it's too cold, it can be irritating too.
0: Yeah, So I you use know, lukewarm. I, I typically let, like lukewarm. Um, I don't know what the temperature would be, but lukewarm. And then yeah. um, the we have uh, like packets, so the, okay. they're individual. Like in the neti pot, it's a one serving, so one serving for a packet, so it's already right. measured out. Sometimes yeah. I'll even use a little less because sometimes I find if it, like you said, if it's too salty,
1: it might get really dried out. Yeah. I use about a third to a quarter of a level teaspoon of Himalayan mm-hmm. rock salt in there, and uh, but, and, and I have pretty warm water, but my pot is cold. And by the time I've stirred it, it just seems to be at the right temperature. Cool. Awesome. I love that. It's a, it's a fun,
0: these are fun tricks and hacks um, that I've been doing for 15 plus years. Like that's what I said, I haven't been on antibiotics in 16 years. And it's funny to see now the way that people are exploiting it and monetizing on it, you know? And it's, uh, and it's, I have a, I listen. I I I don't you know, I, I don't hate on anybody for taking advantage of things and doing like marketing and doing whatever it is that you're doing. But it's funny how they jump on these bandwagons and on these things and these ideas. You know, in the past five years or whatnot, and they're you know all over Instagram and this and that. And I'm like, I've done this. I've been doing this for 16 years, seven before even an Instagram was
1: a thing or before an iPhone was a thing. Like I yeah. knew this stuff. I was doing it. Well well you know the tape is a good example of that Steve I've been giving out a roll of micropore tape which is about $2 as a gift to my patients I go hey look here's my gift to you $2 roll of tape will last you about 3 to 4 maybe even 5 or 6 months A company called Somnofix Somnofix has produced now a tape which is it's 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 more gentle perhaps but I, I and a dollar for a dollar a night so do the maths on that, um, you know, cut across a population. A dollar a night, uh, you can use Somnifix, which has got about three levels of packaging in it, and uh, and will cost you a dollar a night. So, you know, whereas a roll of tape will do the same for months on end and, and much easier. But yeah, monetizing
0: yeah, you know, every it's it's free will and it's uh, a capitalist society, and you got to do what you got to do. I, I get it; it's all yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so, Doctor Rod, in, in, in this has been an awesome conversation. We can continue in so many areas. Um, in, in respect to your time and the, the and the concentration level of many people listening, um, where would you? direct somebody to, uh, uh, to, to to learn more about you, to get more information, to take your online tests? Uh, how do they stay plugged into you?
1: Well, the website is Dr. Ron Ehrlich, or Ehrlich in America, Dr. Ron Ehrlich. Uh, with an, uh, that's D-R-R-O-N-E-H-R-L-I-C-H.com. And uh, I've got a weekly podcast myself, Steve, which is called Unstress with Dr. Ron Ehrlich where I explore all of those themes um, that I just discussed with you. So they're the two main sites that they they can uh, find me on. Awesome. Great. What are you up to this year? What are your, your personal and professional goals? Yes, I'm really focusing. How we, were, we were planning some awesome uh, workshops with so many of my guests. I've, I've had some amazing, like you have also, uh, some <laughs> some amazing people on, and, and uh, some of them have been a personal uh, colleagues of mine, and we were going to be running some workshops, and I'm going to be doing, I'm doing a lot of online work now. We're starting a Five Pillars of Health online course in the next few weeks, uh, and that's a, a self-paced course, except every week I do a Facebook Live Q&A uh, to the group, uh, and that's going to be starting probably in February or March. Uh, I'm doing some workshops up at some health retreats, Within New South Wales, our state, we're trying to stay as local as we can uh, in, in parts of the year. And just my podcast, uh, and I'm starting to write a book. I've got a book as well, which people can, can access on Amazon. It's called A Life Less Stressed, The Five Pillars of Health and Wellness. And it's not autobiographical. It's aspirational for me. So a life less stressed is something we're all aspiring to. Although one of the things I must say that I'm really focusing on is more of this intentional stress, and I've been really working on incorporating ice baths into more of my routine. I have found that to be an incredibly powerful and confronting. I hate going in cold water in the surf, in the, in the sea, but here I'm getting into ice baths, which are two degrees, and I can't believe the impact that that's having so you know a lot of that sort of stuff. It's a work in progress, Steve. I'm, I mean, I've still got a long way to go. I'm the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. That's
0: right. That's, we always can start learning. We always it's never too late. And. And when you get to a point where you are, you are and I am, you you want more and you need more. So Indeed. it's wonderful to connect with you, uh, especially in such in such long distances. Uh, it's always cool to connect with people from Australia, and this viewer right next door to me, right here. So uh, your knowledge, uh, I want to acknowledge you for your knowledge, for your wisdom, and for your ability to dive deep into the health and wellness space. To just catapult the understanding and appreciation of the, co- the topics that we discussed today. Um, you know, I've always found that people from Australia have a high standard in health and wellness and fitness, uh, I believe more so even here than the United States. Um, and I feel that you are uh, just, you, you are incongruent. You are, you are not incongruent. You are congruent with what you speak. And I can feel that just, just through the screen and in the conversation here. So I appreciate that because some people can be very knowledgeable, but they don't practice what they preach. And I can sense, and I, I feel that you do. So I appreciate that about you. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's pleasure. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Till next time, thanks. Thank you for spending your time with me and my guest today on the Steve Jordan Experience. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, there are a few things that you can do. First, sharing is caring. So show your family and friends how much you care about them by sharing this podcast to encourage them to live their best life. Two, go to my website, stevejordan.com, to subscribe to my Get Fit community. Here, you will receive updates, news, and valuable information for ways for you to get more involved in the Steve Jordan experience. And finally... Take a minute to please rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It helps me to continue to get outstanding guests to create an extraordinary listening experience for you. That's all, friends. Thanks for listening to the Steve Jordan Experience.